Thanks, uh, Keith and Ryan and the band and everybody else who's been involved uh, this morning. Great to see you all. If you're a visitor or if you're uh, here again, it's good to see you all and a real welcome to you this morning. Now, most of you will know that last weekend we, as a family, travelled down with a few others as well from Regent down into deepest, darkest Somerset to be part and to be part of and take uh, Joel and Emily's wedding. And it was a great weekend. And I've, I've just put three photographs. We've got, so here's the first one. This is outside the, the church after the service. Uh, Joel and Emily, uh, just after having been married and sort of grinning from ear to ear. And this was us um, as we were uh, taking a f- photograph with them. And then there's one third picture, which is quite disturbing, really. Um, <laughs> this was live on Facebook, so you could log in and watch the wedding if you were, weren't able to get there. And after the service, I got about ten texts came through saying, yeah, I really liked your uh, sermon, Andy, and, and taking the wedding. But you're bald head. What's that about? <laughs> and Helen Monk very kindly sent me this, with a, which she'd highlighted, just in case I missed my bald head, <laughs> with a big pink uh, thing around it. Thanks, Helen. That's, that's kind of you. So that was a little bit depressing. Anyway, I'm sure it's not that bad, but evidence doesn't lie, does it? Camera doesn't lie. Anyway, it's 353 miles from our house to, uh, to Emily's house, um, which is a round trip of 706 miles. And if you're doing that kind of journey, you need some places to stop because it's a long way. It's a really, really long way. And uh, we th- Daniel and I thought a really good place to stop was the Tank Museum. That was a necessary stop on the way, so we had an afternoon in the Tank Museum, which the ladies in the group enjoyed thoroughly. But we also found some other places that we needed to stop at, which were you know, the, the uh, service stations. If, if, if you're doing a journey of that length, you need petrol, you need uh, food, you need uh, air in the tyres, you need uh, just a time to break and, and kind of rest and all that kind of thing. It's a long, long way. So we stopped at a number of service stations on, on the way for petrol, but also for food and, and just a kind of time to stretch our legs and all that kind of thing. It's amazing, isn't it, how expensive service stations are. Suddenly, what seems to cost like a pound in the high street costs three pound, and, and petrol that's one pound 15 is like one pound 30 and this kind of thing. It's amazing. I remember Keith years ago introducing the little chef as the little thief, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much how it works. And you have no choice because you have to pay up. You're there, they've got a captive audience, and if you want petrol or food, you have to do it. And I guess that motorway service stations really are the modern equivalent of what a well would have been for people in Bible times in the Middle East. When much of the land that you're living in or, or, or traveling through is arid, it's, it, it's dry desert, you need to know that there are places that you can start where you can get good, clean water and where you can get shelter from the sun and, and, and rest. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Abraham as we've been going through the book of Genesis. And Abraham became a nomad. God called him to leave his home, which was in uh, what is now modern-day Iraq, and he traveled to what is now the uh, land of Israel. And as a nomad, and, and a nomad is, is someone who moves around and they don't have a permanent home, they, they kind of live in tents and they travel around, uh, Abraham didn't have a permanent home. He was always kind of on the move to some extent. And Abraham did just that, and it wasn't just him and his wife and his son Isaac, or his previous son uh, Ishmael, as we were looking at in the last few weeks. There would have been probably between 500 and 1,000 people in Abraham's household. And you can see that because he he picks 318 of his finest men to go in a battle for him. So there was probably at least 500, and probably by this time, the the time we get to this story in in Genesis, probably around about 1,000 people. This is a big uh, group of people with, with perhaps many tents like you've got in this picture here. And by the time we get to this passage, Abraham is over 100 years old. And he's become really well known in the region. He's known by all the regional kings. 
kings then would have probably not been, you know, big kings of big lands, but of sort of regional like, cities and, and, and counties and regions, probably, as we would think of today. And one of these kings was a man called Abimelech. And Abimelech was king of, of what we would now know as Gaza in, uh, in, in uh, the sort of Palestinian territory. And Abimelech and Abraham had had a previous run-in, which we looked at a little while ago. And as a result of that, Abimelech had realized and come to understand that the God of Abraham was all-powerful. I don't think Abimelech realized that the God of Abraham was the only God, but he'd certainly realized that Abraham's God was powerful. And, of course, we know the God of Abraham to be the one true God, the only God. And so because of this, and because Abimelech knew that Abraham's God was on his side, Abimelech was a bit wary of him. And you can imagine, if you've suddenly got a camp of 1,000 people on the edge of your territory, and they want water and food and that kind of thing, Abimelech was a little bit wary of him. And because of that, he wanted to make sure that there was peace between him and Abraham. He didn't want this big group of people uh, with, with, with any kind of uh, fighting going on. And, I, and it, it, our passage today describes just what happens as these two men try to make sure that they stay at peace together. So we're going to read the passage. It's Genesis 21, and it's uh, verses 22 to 34. And when I read this passage, I was a bit surprised why I'd given myself it and not somebody else. But anyway, as you'll see... Uh, Twelve months out, these things seem a good idea. <coughs> anyway, <coughs> excuse me. So Genesis 21, and we're going to read from 22 to the end of the chapter. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien or a, or a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who's done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the, from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you've set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Beersheba means well of the oath or well of the seven. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines. A long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, this might seem a little bit of an odd account to us today, and we might wonder what the point of the account is, and, and even why it's even in the Bible. Why has uh, Moses seen fit to, to record this for us? And I think that there's two reasons why this account is recorded for us. Firstly, it records some key events in the life of Abraham. And it introduces a place to us, a place called Beersheba. And this place will crop up again and again in the life of the, the history of the people of Israel. And especially in the life of Jacob, who was the father of the nation of Israel and was Abraham's grandson. But I think there's another reason, or a second reason, that it's recorded for us today. And it's so that we can learn lessons from it in our own lives several thousand years later. These are real events in history they're written down for us to explain and record the history of God's people and, and his dealings with them and, and, and how they kind of grew and, and became established. But they're also events and situations that we can learn from in our lives and we can apply them to our lives today. 
And if we want to properly understand the Old Testament and apply it to our lives, then we need to read it through the lens of the New Testament. In other words, we need to, to see it with the New Testament in mind, or we need to read the New Testament and see how that interprets the Old Testament and what it has to say about these passages. And in the New Testament of the Bible, it talks repeatedly about those who trust in Jesus and surrender their lives to him as being like strangers and foreigners and exiles in a foreign country. If, we, if we're followers of Jesus, we still live in the same physical country. We're here in the UK. Yet now everything is different. We are different. If we've trusted in Jesus, we are different. We should be different. And how we view the world around us should be different. We should think differently and now see things differently. Or at least we should do. The Bible paints a, a kind of picture for us of us being like people who are, who are traveling through. People who are just passing through this world on the way to another world. A bit like those nomads in the desert uh, in Abraham's day. And in Philippians 2.20, the Apostle Paul wrote these words about uh, followers of Jesus, about us. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live in this world. We're citizens of this nation, of the United Kingdom, or of other countries perhaps. We live here. We've got lives to lead. We've got things to do here on earth. We've got jobs and families and so on. But our citizenship, our allegiance, our real identity is as heavenly citizens, not as citizens of this country. And, and Paul is saying here that we should be eagerly awaiting for the Lord Jesus Christ because that is where our eyes should be. That's where our focus should be. So whilst we do live here, this isn't our home. We're meant to see ourselves as nomads, as strangers and foreigners kind of passing through. We're, we're, we're here, but we're passing through. Citizens not of the United Kingdom, but of a heavenly kingdom. And that means that how we live should be different. It means that it should be different to the people around us. That There should be something different about us. I read a post this week, I think it was Francis Chan, who said that if, if, if our non-Christian friends don't think we're slightly odd, then there's something wrong, because then we've assimilated too much into our own culture. So the things that we invest our lives in, the things that we spend our time doing, the things that we spend our money on, all of those should be a little bit or significantly different from the way that our friends and neighbors and family who don't follow Jesus uh, are living because this world is temporary and we're we're just passing through it. And that knowledge ought to change how we live. This is not all there is. There is more to life than this life. In fact, there is so much more uh, as, as we look forward to the future. And the Apostle Peter wrote these words. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In other words, if we've trusted in Jesus and have surrendered our lives to him, then we're meant to see ourselves as foreigners, as exiles, people passing through. So we live in this world, but we're no longer of this world. We are different, or we're meant to be different. We're meant to be foreigners and exiles just passing through. And as Peter writes here, he challenges us as followers of Jesus not to live like the world around us and not to be influenced by the world around us. So we're meant to consciously choose not to live the way that we used to, not to live the way that perhaps people around us live. But it's difficult, isn't it, to, to live somewhere, and those of you who perhaps moved around this country or, or come from uh, countries abroad to live here, it, it's difficult, or, or in fact probably we should take on some of the characteristics. We be, our accents change, we learn a new language, we eat different food, we might dress differently. All of that kind of happens, and that's normal and natural as we go to different cultures or different parts of the world. And, and spiritually the same is true for us. We can find ourselves very easily taking on the characteristics of the world around us instead of staying true to our real heavenly identity. So there's so many things that call for us to give them our attention 
as we live in this world. Things that in and of themselves can be perfectly legitimate. They're not necessarily sinful things. Things that are perfectly legitimate, but things that can end up pulling us away from Jesus and pull us away from him and, and, and make us or render us ineffective as followers of Jesus so that we end up looking little different to the world around us. It might be our families, our, our jobs, our careers, our ambitions, our hobbies, our possessions, our wealth, or even maybe a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. And we need to handle these things with care so that they don't distract us from focusing on living for Jesus in this world and on our eternal destiny and on our eternal home. The book of the Hebrews in the New Testament of the Bible, referring to Abraham, says this, By faith he, that's Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. In other words, what, what uh, the writer of Hebrews here is saying is that Abraham was living and was passing through this world. He was focused on something bigger. He was focused on his eternal destiny rather than this world which is temporary. And a few verses later, we read these words in, in, in Hebrews. All these people, and he's referring here to Abraham amongst others, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. <clears throat> people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. <clears throat> Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And the point of this chapter, or part of the point of this chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, is that these great heroes of the Old Testament, Abraham included, were focused on their eternal destiny. And we need to be too. That's what Hebrews, this is how Hebrews is interpreting some of these things from the Old Testament for us, from Abraham's life. How are we meant to learn from that? Well, partly that we are too meant to be focused on our eternal destiny and not just on the world that we're living in. It's for us, written down for us, as we seek to learn as, as followers of Jesus here today in 21st century Britain. And, and our calling is to consider ourselves merely as those who are just passing through, we're passing through this world on the way to an eternal home to be with Jesus forever. And whilst we're passing through this world, we are meant to engage with this world. Don't get me wrong, we're not meant to just kind of switch off from this world and disengage. God wants us to get busy and focused on spreading the gospel, spreading the good news about Jesus that, that we sung about this morning. He wants us to be focused on that and, and, and busy in that. He wants us to extend his kingdom, his rule, so that uh, his standards and righteousness and, and, and good living is, is extended throughout our nation. And righteous standards are, are extended, his kingdom rule. But as we do that, we need to be really careful that the things of this world, some of which are perfectly legitimate, some are sinful, but many of which are just good things, some of those things can pull us away from staying focused on living for God and for serving him. So write that on your outline, on the back of your bulletin if you want to use that this morning. I'm a foreigner. It's really important that we understand this. We are foreigners. That is our identity. I'm a foreigner. I'm passing through this world. And if we get that concept of, of ourselves as foreigners, it changes how we think and how we live in this world. I'm a foreigner passing through this world, and we need to stay focused on our eternal destiny. This world is very brief, it is temporary, and we're going to something bigger and better. So we need to stay focused with that, just reminding ourselves that our identity is foreigners and exiles. We're passing through. Towards the end of the passage that we've read today, we read these words, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. 
when he planted his tamarisk tree, which we're going to get back to in a minute, Abraham worshipped the Lord worship the Lord, the eternal God at Beersheba. And the Hebrew name that's used here about God, he calls him Lord, which is Yahweh, but then he calls him El Olam, which means eternal God, literally God eternal. And it's the only place in the entire Bible where this title is given of God. It's the only place this El Olam is used. And I think that's very deliberate, that that's not an accident. And it's because it's underlying this sense of Abraham being part of something much bigger than his life. God is eternal, and just like Abraham, we are part of something eternal. We are part of something much bigger than just our lives, than just this country, than just what is going on around us, than than the here and now. We're part of God's story. Isn't that amazing? We are part of God's story. History is his story. It's God's story. And we are part of that. We're not just random bit players in something. We are significant people in God's plan. God is his eternal story, and we are significant in that. This life is, is temporary. It, it's over in a blink, isn't it? The blink of an eye. And if we're not careful, we can get so easily distracted by all that this world has to offer us. And then just as suddenly we look back and think, how did that life disappear? Suddenly I'm 40 or, or 50 or 60 or 70, and those years have just disappeared down the, down the tube. How did that happen? Where did that life go? And our opportunity to be, some, to be part of something that lasts and something that matters is gone. And I guess what I'm saying this morning is this. Don't waste your life on things that are temporary and that are ultimately meaningless. Not necessarily wrong, but ultimately meaningless. Don't waste our lives on things that are temporary and ultimately will be meaningless. Francis Chan, I quoted him earlier, but he's written a a number of great books. This is a really good book, Uh, Crazy Love. You're welcome to borrow it, unless you're Lucy. Uh, You're welcome to borrow this from me. Fantastic book. And And in this book, he says this, nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it's about loving God and loving the people he has made. Nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it's about loving God and loving the people he has made. There's loads of stuff we can fill our lives with, lots of good stuff. But unless it's about Jesus or has Jesus at its core, then ultimately it's all pointless. Can I ask you a direct question this morning? You don't need to answer it out loud, but just to think about what are you filling your life with? And what are you focused on? What are you filling your life with? What is your focus in this world? John Ortberg has written a book called It All Goes Back in the Box. And the point of the book is this, we, we fill our lives with stuff. Most of it's good stuff. But at the end of it, our life goes into a box and all that stuff goes back in a box. So don't waste our lives. So we're part of an eternal story. We're part of something so much bigger than just our lives, just this time in history. So write that down. I am part of God's eternal story. This is massive. This is hugely significant for us. We are not just random people suddenly finding ourselves at this point in history with no sense of, of relationship to anything else. We are part of God's eternal story. We are part of his story. We are part of history. And we have an opportunity with our lives to do something significant. God and whatever we do with God at the center of it is significant. It doesn't have to be about saving a hundred people, it's just about whatever we do with God at the center. If what we do is about serving God, if it's about loving Him and loving others, whether that's our work, our family, where we handle our finances, our time, serving in church, whatever it might be, if God's at the center of that and is the motivator behind it, then it becomes eternal and it lasts. 
who worship an eternal God, who has prepared an eternal city for us. And he calls us to partner with him in this eternal story. I find that phenomenal. Now, Abraham was passing through, and so are we. But just like Abraham, we do need to live and function in this world, don't we? Abraham had dug this well here at Beersheba because it was essential to his life. He and his large household, perhaps a thousand people, they needed this well. It was essential. Beersheba means well of the oath or well of the seven, referring to the seven lambs that Abraham uh, gave to Abimelech. And and Beersheba is still there to this day. It's now a reasonably sized city, I think, in the south uh, of Israel, of modern-day Israel. And there's a large well dating from Abraham's time just outside the city of Beersheba, and this is it. And that is also a tamarisk tree. I don't think that's the one that Abraham planted, but that may well be, archaeologists think, the well that Abraham dug. It was certainly named by Abraham, and that's where the city still today has its name from, Beersheba. Abraham needed this well. It was essential to his life and to his household's life. And they would die without the water, particularly in that hot country. And I think the symbolism for us is this, that just as Abraham was passing through as a foreigner, as a stranger, and needed water from the well, so we as people who are just passing through this world We need spiritual water from a spiritual well. If we're going to survive, and not just survive, but actually thrive in a world that will try to tempt us away from living for Jesus and stay focused on our eternal destiny and on playing our part in this big eternal story that God has called us to be part of, if we're going to survive and thrive, then we need to feed our souls on spiritual water. Just as we need physical water for our physical bodies, we need spiritual water our souls don't we we need to feed on the holy spirit and that spiritual water is the holy spirit we we need to keep on being filled with the holy spirit billy graham says doesn't he that why do we need to keep on being filled It's because we leak and we need to just keep on on a daily basis just receiving the holy spirit We, we, we receive him once and for all the moment we're saved but that sense of of opening our lives to fullness of God's Holy Spirit and abandoning ourselves and allowing him to fill us and take over us. That's a thing we need to do on our daily basis. And we need to keep on being filled because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power and the strength and the ability to live for God in a world like this. So write that on your outline. I need to drink spiritual water. I need to drink spiritual water. What does it look like to drink spiritual water? What does that mean? What does it actually look like in, in daily living? I think it's about a number of things. It's about spending time with God through worship. That might be on our own, maybe just CDs or, or, or you know, Spotify, whatever it is. But, but listening to, to Christian worship, that can be really helpful. Just feeding our souls, connecting with God in worship on our own. It might be, and I think it is, coming together like a church family this morning and worshipping God together and encountering the, the Holy Spirit as we worship. It's about reading our Bibles. It's about spending time with God. It's about listening to Bible teaching like this morning or, or perhaps through uh, great books like uh, Francis Chan's book. And when we do those different things, and I would say all of those things are good things to do, as we do that, just as water satisfies our physical body and, and I'm parched this morning, and this is really helpful. This is physical water. It's keeping me going. Just as that satisfies my physical body, so the Holy Spirit will satisfy our spiritual thirst, and we feel refreshed and empowered. Now, having entered into a covenant with Abimelech and secured his well, we read this, that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. So what's the significance of this tamarisk tree? Well, 
why go to the bother of actually even recording this? Well, this is a picture of a tamarisk tree. That was one earlier that you saw next to the actual well. In Hebrew, it's called a, an ashel tree. And apparently, its, it's heavy shade attracts passers-by, especially shepherds and their flocks. And apparently, because of the way that the tamarisk or the ashel tree functions, which involves the tree excreting salt crystals into its leaves, and at night, as the moisture cools, or, or rather increases in the cool air, the water vapor then sticks to the salt particles and condenses into droplets. And then in the morning, as the sun warms the air, the water evaporates and so cools the tamarisk tree and the air around the tree. And so because of this, it's known in the Middle East as the coolest tree. It provides the coolish kind of shade. So you can see why Abraham would want to plant one of these near a well. As he and his, and his household are, are getting uh, physical water, he wants somewhere where he can uh, uh, rest and, and, and shade and, be, and it's cool. Probably, actually, he planted a whole grove of them, not just one. That's probably what actually happened. So if you're getting water from the well, you also want somewhere cool, don't you, to, to sit and to shelter from the sun. <clears throat> now, on one level, this is just a piece of detail that makes sense. Abraham and his household needed this. This was just a, a kind of sensible thing for him to do. But I think we're probably meant to see more in this than just the historical detail. But, and, and the point is this, that as followers of Jesus, we are just like Abraham. We're strangers, we're foreigners in a hostile world, which often might to, to us feel very much like a desert. And it might be this morning that you feel like you're in a spiritual desert, that you know, life is just all-consuming and all taking over you, whether that's family problems or financial problems or health issues, whatever it might be. And as strangers and foreigners in a, in a hostile world, in, in, in a desert-like conditions, we need places of shelter and shade if we're going to survive. And we want to just more, do more than survive, don't we? We, we, we want to thrive. We don't want to just go into a kind of survival mentality. We want to thrive as we're here on this uh, planet. We're strangers and foreigners, but we want to survive and thrive. And Abraham didn't just shelter from the sun at Beersheba under his tamarisk trees. It became a place where he called on the name of the Lord. In other words, he was spending time worshipping God, connecting with God, encountering God there. In other words, it was a place of spiritual shade for him. And not only do we need spiritual water to sustain us, we need places where we can take on this spiritual water, don't we? We need places where we're shaded from the sun and the heat of life. So what are those places? What does that look like for us? Well, can I suggest two things? I think firstly, it's about us finding a time and a place for us to personally connect with God for our own private prayer and Bible study, where we might perhaps spend time just reflecting, reading the word, reading Christian books, listening to music, praying to God, whatever it might be. To, to, to spend time where we're intentional about creating time and a place. And if we're not intentional about that, it just doesn't happen, does it? You know, we, we think, yeah, yeah, I, I really should go and pray, and then the, the busyness of the day happens, and the end of the day comes, and we haven't done it again. So we need to be intentional about that. And as part of that, it's really helpful, I find, anyway, to find a, a place somewhere. It's not a holy place. There's no such thing as holy places. We are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit within us. But, it, but it's good to find somewhere that's easier for us to spend time with God than harder. We want places that are a place of shelter and shade, not places that are difficult. So, you know, if the kids are running around the room, that's not going to be an easy place to connect with God. But maybe going up into the bathroom and shutting the door or going into the bedroom, somewhere where we can disconnect, where it's going to be easier. Jesus said these words, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. It might be going into your bedroom, it might be going to a different room in the house. It might be going out for a walk. It might be going out to your car on your lunch break. It's about finding a time and a place where, not a holy place, but just a place where we can disconnect from the world around us and where we can connect with the Holy Spirit as we pray and as we read the Bible. 
something I know a lot of Christians find useful and helpful are daily reading notes. Uh, I've got a whole stack of these and can put you in touch with different ones. There's a young person's editions, uh, YPs, and these are produced by Everyday with Jesus. Um, and uh, this is a, the adult one. And they normally do these every two months. And if you don't use something like that, and it doesn't, you don't have to use that. There's, there's, there's a variety of other uh, uh, publications, and you can connect with stuff online as well. That's, that, that's all good. It'll come to your phone or whatever. But if you don't use something like that, I really encourage you to use that. Some people don't find them helpful. Some people just want to read the Bible themselves. That's great. But if you want something that makes things easier rather than harder, then I really encourage you to get uh, a, a daily reading book like that. And I've got, I can put you in touch with that, or I can give you some uh, samples of those. So it can be really helpful just to find things like that. It, it's hard, isn't it? Reading the Bible and praying and finding time to do that isn't easy. So we don't want to make things harder for ourselves. We want to make things easier for ourselves. We need to create a time and a place. Write this down. We need to create a time and a place where we can be with God. We need to create a time and a place where we can be with God. If you're really rich, that means having a prayer room. Most of us, probably that means going in the bathroom and locking the door. But wherever it is, create a time and a place where we can be with God. Secondly, I think it's about us prioritizing those times when we gather together with other Christians. Meeting with other Christians, whether that's a Sunday morning like this, or, or a communion service like tonight, or a prayer meeting on a Sunday night, or a home group, and home groups are on this week, or, or meeting together perhaps with a smaller group of friends that we can just maybe in twos and threes really get uh, at a deeper level um, and just, in, just work together and encourage each other and so on. I think these kind of gatherings are the equivalent of a place of shade and shelter in the desert. It's a place where we disconnect from the world and we come intentionally to be, to be refreshed and to help refresh others. It's about intentionally and deliberately meeting with other Christians, as we've done this morning. We could have all stayed at home, or we could have gone somewhere else, couldn't we? But we've chosen to come here because we want to be refreshed and we want to help refresh other people. So that we're helping and being helped and encouraged on our journey. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So making time to meet together as fellow believers is so important, because that's where we build those really deep relationships, where we can encourage each other, where we can hold each other accountable. And we can encourage each other as we seek to follow Jesus and spur each other on to live the kind of lives that he wants us to live. Sometimes we we have to make a choice. Because there's always something else we could be doing. There's always something else that needs our attention. And I think I find in life personally, you know, we will always find the time to do the things we really want to do. We will always find the time to do the things we want to do. I always find the time to go to watch the rugby. I always find the time to do that because it's important to me. And I can always find the time to do that. And the things that are really important to us, we will always find the time to do. And so we need to challenge ourselves and ask ourselves, what is really important to us? Most things will wait an hour or two hours so that we can come on a Sunday or to home group or to the prayer meeting, whatever it might be. So we need to prioritize, write this down, I need to prioritize meeting with other Christians. We live in a world of competing priorities and we're not always going to be able to do this and sometimes life just takes over and, and, and God understands that. But we need to prioritize meeting with other Christians. We are foreigners. We're, we're strangers passing through this world. This world is not our home. Hebrews wrote there about, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
The day is approaching, and, that, and that's code for the fact that Jesus is coming again. So as that day approaches, we need to remind ourselves this is not our home. We're passing through, and our eternal destiny is to be with God forever. And so we need to stay focused on the fact that we're just passing through and make sure that we don't get sidetracked and distracted by, firstly by sin, definitely, but by generally just by loads of stuff that is good stuff, but just we need to be brutal sometimes and make sure we don't get distracted by all that this world offers us. And as we travel through this world, we need that spiritual equivalent of those wells of water so that we can keep going, not only to survive, but actually to thrive in a desert. It's so important that we dig and maintain our spiritual wells and drink from them so that we not only survive, but we thrive. And we need to create those places of shade and shelter where we can enjoy that spiritual water from the well. We need to find a time and a place where we can get alone with God Prioritize meeting with other Christians so that we can be encouraged and spur one another on. Let's just take a few moments now to reflect on what we said this morning. Let me just close our eyes, bow our heads, that the band are going to come and lead us again in worship in a moment. But let's just close our eyes and uh, just invite you to do that this morning, just to bow our heads, just to be not distracted by what's going on around us or anybody else. Maybe recently you've found yourself sucked into this world, not maybe sinful things, just stuff, good stuff, but not always necessary stuff, and you need to refocus and reconnect with God. Maybe this morning you have got distracted and tempted into sin, and you need to repent of that sin and turn away from that sin, whatever that is. Maybe you need to create time to drink the spiritual water that the Holy Spirit offers us. Maybe you need to create a time and a place where you can be with God. And maybe you've been neglecting opportunities to meet with with and gather with other Christians on Sundays or in your home group or on a one-on-one. Let's just take a few moments to pause and reflect. And, And if there's an action for us to take, whether that's reconnecting with somebody we used to meet to pray with, whether that's going back to the home group you used to go to, whether that's making sure that we are here on a Sunday or, or coming out to prayer meetings, whether it's making sure that, we've, uh, that we repent of sin or just refocusing and getting those times in our day when we can be with God, whatever that might be. Now's a t- an opportunity for us to just to recommit to God, reassess our lives and take those steps. Let's just spend this time of silence and pause and reflect. <laughs> 